0: you're about to join Jerry Parker, Moritz Siebert and Niels Kostrup-Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing and learn about the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor podcast series.
1: Jerry Parker, Moritz Siebert and I, Niels Kostrup-Larsen are delighted to be back with this week's edition of the Systematic Investor series. And as usual, We're going to discuss uh, last week's events in the world of rule-based investing and take some of your questions. Good morning to you, Jerry, and good morning to you, Moritz.
2: How are you? Good morning. For the first time, I
3: can say that. Good morning, Niels. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, guys.
1: Now, uh, NatGas, once again, um, took center stage uh, when it comes to market moves with a 12% drop uh, this week and other energy markets were under pressure as well, uh, as well as a few of the soft Uh, markets that also lost a fair bit of ground. And on the upside, we had lumber, um, had a big move. I don't know if any of you guys trade lumber. We don't. Um, But there were also some uh, up moves in things like the British pound, precious metals like platinum, gold, silver, and some of the grain markets had an effect uh, on performance, no doubt, this week. So, let's find out how all of this um, played out. and. as usual, Moritz, even if you uh, might be a little bit jet lagged still, I thought I would come to you first and see how that all played out uh, on your side this week.
2: Yeah, the jet lag was playing out fine as well, if I can say that. I got up so early in this morning so I could watch the uh, final of the Australian Open, which for me as a oh, tennis wow. player is a good thing to watch. Uh, that was a quick sure. one. But back to the markets, um, not trading lumber, unfortunately, a uh, relatively small market, but not trading that for other reasons. Um, and in terms of the performance, I mean, natural gas, yeah, they—I think they had a, a blizzard or a cold spell forecast for the eastern seaboard here in the U.S., which then didn't come, and so prices dropped again. My position in natural gas at that point isn't that large anymore, so it—it uh, it, it wasn't um, a big P L event in in that sense. Um, <clears throat> money was made on on the bonds once again, uh, favorite markets these days. Um, precious metals, and again some uh, some losing positions on the equities, but overall the week I think is a few basis points up even, um, so you know just chopping around.
1: Yes, no, I mean I can certainly uh, concur on 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 the slight positive performance this week. That was really also what we saw, and, and there were really for us a, a couple of standouts uh, on the downside. British pound was really where we saw the uh, the most money being. Uh, given away, um, and then as you, uh, fixed income as a whole, pretty good, but German bunds, um, despite the low interest rates, we are able to uh, uh, squeeze out more performance of of these markets, which is, um, you know, in itself quite incredible. Um, So that did well. A couple of the energy markets did okay. Sugar did okay. Lean hogs. Did okay. Uh, lost a little bit of ground on, on on coffee, but it was a very quiet month at the. Oh, sorry, week at the end of the week. Um, slightly up for the week on on our side. So, how about you, Jerry? Um, what did you see? Not least, we're always excited to hear what the single stock markets um,
3: looks like. Yeah, it looked like stocks were pretty quiet. Um, they had a, you know, of course, the bad start but then end of the week, pretty strong. So not a lot going on there. Um, For us, it's just a rally in the shorts uh, and trying to still find those great longs. But uh, as you mentioned, the grains and the precious metals, uh, we've got enough bad price action in the gold to get bounced out of our gold. And still hoping that, you know, something like cattle looks pretty strong. The um, the emissions are hanging in there, but uh I think for us probably a losing week due to the dollar and being on the wrong side, being short all the all the different currencies still. So not not a great week. Hopefully next week's better.
1: Yeah, you never know. You can always hope. Um no, it's interesting. I mean, none of us seems to be trading lumber, but I, I think from from what I've seen, other managers who do trade lumber. I mean lumber had a pretty sizable move last year. I think it was halved in price. Um, so it seems like for smaller managers, maybe um, it's uh, it's an interesting market to trade. But I think it's pretty thin in terms of volume. So something to um, uh, watch out for. And um, maybe I'll just um, throw in a little bit of a... Um, no, actually, I'll t- we'll take that uh, at the end. I think there's a couple of questions where it might fit better. Uh, what I was about to say. So um, in terms of news flow, articles, um, anything, uh, I think there was an interesting article uh, this uh, week because I think uh, a well-known magazine in our industry, CTA Intelligence, I think they published an article about uh, how CTAs might soon be extinct. Um, So that's always an interesting topic, um, something I'm sure we've all heard before but uh, this seemed to be pretty uh, sort of dire dire forecast for our industry so why don't we uh, did any of you um, look at it and, and what are your initial thoughts
3: yeah i looked at that
2: i mean <clears throat> i think probably uh, none of us who trade systematically uh, can overlook such a piece um, i think i read it on the tuesday and um, when I was done with it, it was kind of like, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, some points in there which are objectively correct, meaning, uh, you know, performance hasn't been that great. But I also left, uh, you know, reading the article and thinking a lot of those things are just pulled out of thin air and and, then made up and, you know, creating this doomsday scenario without the objective facts backing them up. Um, So I, uh, I must say that you know, even even though I, I tried to be very neutral. So if, you know, if, if we read negative news about us, well then, you know, just take it for what it is. But in this case, um, I just thought the article was, wasn't well prepared.
1: If I may ask you, um, because I didn't actually see the details myself, what was the main argument for that this industry would be extinct?
2: One of the argument went that, you know, they said uh, the smaller managers are going to be uh, you know out of business because if they don't come up with a better performance in the next uh in the, you know month or years then all of the money will go to larger guys and the you know, the, the industry will become irrelevant so to say um, i need to uh, to pull up the link to find out exactly what the passages were that that rubbed me the wrong way
3: okay
1: what did you take away jerry from it
3: well you know i think that it's interesting that um <clears throat> I guess to get readers, you know, you, have, you, you talk about dinosaurs and extinction. These are pretty volatile words. Uh, they're funny I th- in a picture of a dinosaur. I think that's kind of cool. Um, yeah. And then what happens to the, the name of the magazine when we all go away? And, uh, and then I put on my tweet uh, quote, CTA intelligence is not, an or- is not an oxymoron, damn it. So <laughs> I was mostly in a, making fun of mood. I have a subscription. I'll keep my subscription, and that's fine. You know, I mean, I might be extinct, and I'm making fun of you. Hopefully, uh, the guys in London are okay with all of this. Uh, you know, but uh, I think it's just another doubling down on um, this whole idea of crisis alpha. Where were we in February and October? And no matter what we say, like, hey, can we can we kind of move on from that? There are short term traders who are very good and very famous. You should give them your money, maybe all of your money. Why mess around with stocks at all? If these guys can uh, <clears throat> get in and out of the markets and provide crisis alpha uh, just when you need it, then maybe they could. They just deserve to have um, a lots of you know clients' money and not mess around with uh, long passive uh, stocks and uh, protecting that the those movements. Uh, so no matter how long we try to often we try to say to people well we're not that great the ctas the trend followers are not that great at tr- at crisis alpha we do uh pretty well historically because of our diversification into currencies and commodities and because we do shorts even uh index shorts stock index shorts that we can help in a bear market uh, not good enough we have a story to write we have a bit money to raise and it suits us to continue to uh, <clears throat> criticize and force uh, us to reconcile this idea of crisis alpha, even though we say we're not that great at crisis alpha. So I don't know if this is, is, can, will stop, but um, we do have a very good portfolio of uh, longs and shorts and a systematic approach that is uh, more of a perfect portfolio than a perfect hedge, even though, it, you know, of course, it doesn't look like it's that great as a portfolio either. The last sentence in the article i have no idea where this comes from but it was i guess it's just a quote and it's uh CTA's focused on currencies and commodities can grow their business you know where does that come from i mean because maybe there's a few last year who made more doing currency only or commodity only and this is the solution historically going forward i mean uh going forward into the future let's uh <clears throat> reduce our diversification notwithstanding the Many uh, years of the, seeing the benefits of having more diversification.
1: Yeah, no, that seems to be um, an interesting conclusion on their side, which I agree with you. I don't really see any evidence uh, for that, uh, Moritz. Did you find what you were looking for in terms of?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm reading through the article as uh, as you guys speak. Um, it's a long yeah. article, it is it is about the, the the crisis alpha thing again. I think you know. Yes, uh, clients are redeeming. Uh, we've seen this over and over again, time and time again. Clients pull the plug uh, when when they are in a drawdown, and they get back in in the highs, destroying their own return profile, so to say. And you know, I it, it just that doesn't stop. And the other thing is, you know, the the article is written very much about being an equity hedge, and we've said that many times on this on this podcast that you know none of us believe that CTAs are an effective equity hedge. They may be by chance if they are positioned correctly, right, but not by design. And I know Katie Kaminsky has you know, produced this article and, and more recently, I think she's written an article about crisis alpha versus correction or crisis versus correction, something like that, which I think put it in a better light. And it's just so important for investors to understand that if you invest in a medium to long-term trend following CTA, whether or not you get that crisis alpha is really a coin toss. You know, it's it's not designed to be a hedge, an immediate hedge for short-term corrections. And if that, was, if that is what clients want, then they've jumped on the wrong bus. Um, and, you know, essentially the article is ex- exploiting that and saying that, you know, there have been those two corrections in the past year and CTAs weren't there to help. And therefore it's kind of like uh, the question is out there, do they value add? Um, or are they a value-added thing to investors' portfolio and is it worth paying the fees for that? Um, Well, there you go.
3: In 2019, this is the deadline. Says who? Yeah, exactly,
2: says who?
1: I mean, I think think sometimes we, we all need to go back to sort of, you know, basic, basic principles. I mean, we're talking about a strategy that... That is based on the fact that higher prices attract buyers and lower prices attract sellers. I mean, I don't really think that's going to change. So, you know, that's the you know that's the fundamental you know principle that makes trend following work over time. So, I think that's important to always keep in in the back of our minds. Um, and I think the other thing is, uh, which is something you 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 both talked about. I mean when you build portfolios um, i think there's no dis- there's no discussion that diversification is important and and i don't mean diversification within the cta portfolio we 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 know that's important but we also i'm talking just by by you know looking at investors and how they structure their portfolio but diversification in my mind it doesn't mean that you can turn negative returns to positive returns what it means to me, and I think we touched on this maybe in a previous uh, episode last week perhaps, is that diversification, if done right, minimizes the variance of returns of your portfolio. And if you then, uh, you know, look at compounding effect on portfolios that don't have these deep, deep drawdowns, that's where you see a lot of benefit. So completely agree with you guys that we're not trying to, you know avoid normal portfolios to have losses but we are there as an uncorrelated strategy to minimize some of the volatility to remove some of the volatility of these portfolios and by doing that if that's our role that's perfectly fine um i think there's been a lot of different analogies um written about um, that illustrates uh, you know the value of having something that may on paper not look great I think there was um I think um, I think Chris Cole actually who'll be on the podcast um soon uh in a round table um and and he's uh the guy from from Artemis Capital who's written some some great articles about volatility i think he wrote a piece about um and you probably know this better than than i do uh jerry but in in he used an analogy of of basketball and he was talking about how dennis rodman had been appointed to the hall of fame but dennis rodman when you look at his stats it doesn't look that great. I mean, he's someone who doesn't score that many, then many points. But what he apparently did, and I'm no best basketball uh, fan, so so you know, take that, uh, <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. But what he was great at apparently was rebounds. So he was better than he had like a six standard deviation success rate on rebounds than any other player. So even though he didn't score a lot, when you put him on the on on the field with other players, the whole team. The whole portfolio was massively improved, and I think to some extent that's kind of the role we play. I mean, we we may not be the one scoring many points. When we do score, we we score big, but we don't score a lot. Uh, in that sense, we spend a lot of our time um in drawdowns. Um, anyway, that's kind of how I
3: yeah. That's that's a great analogy, and that's uh, <clears throat> those teams were just. Uh, put together correctly. It's like that in every sport. You've probably seen in soccer or football that if you get a team full of superstars, it may not do as well as, uh, you know, when you have Jordan and Pippen, you don't need another person wanting the basketball. You need a guy right. who do some, does something else. So that's the way those teams were put together uh, to a, a complimentary role. And he was an amazing rebounder. And so, but you know what? He didn't play two to 4% of the time. Right, he didn't make <laughs> he didn't make a little bit of money. Yeah, he was treated as a as a cog, a worth, a worthwhile uh, person on the team. He was paid millions. He played all the time, just like the scorers. And so, the allocators to long term trend following they don't even believe that we're that good uh, for crisis alpha when they're only willing to allocate these small percentages and be so uh careful and to not be able to hang into uh hang on for a long you know a long time for a for a complete cycle or two for ctas and uh even though it's just a small percentage of the portfolio so now there are some things that we need to do better let's say how can we earn uh, if everyone all of a sudden says yes i agree no more crisis alpha talk it's help me have a better portfolio you have all these markets Long and short, systematic approach. Uh, what do you can you do something about your the consistency of your performance? And I think yeah, we need to do, have more consistency of performance. And how can we do that? So there's some things that uh, we can you know obviously work on, but uh, it is a little irritating to. Uh, but you say that, Jerry. I mean, it's interesting, and I I
1: completely know where you're coming from. That you know consistency in performance would make it more appetizing for investors to to, um, you know, put us in their portfolio and maybe keep us for longer. But on the other hand, one could say it's like if you try to change a Dennis Rodman to do something different on the field, you lose the value of what he really stands for. And I think sometimes if we start trying to do too much to our systems, and we've talked about this before, that there is no best system, right? So if we try and do too much, being too clever, just to please people... I think we, they will end up losing the real value that we um, produce. Um, it also reminds me of another analogy. I saw an interview at some point with uh, Michael Lewis, the author, and he was talking about Moneyball. And I think a lot of our listeners probably are aware that Moneyball kind of is an interesting analogy to to our industry because they're all about the statistics and and so on and so forth. And it's been written about a lot. But one of the things he said was, um, and I don't want to make it too uh, visual, so to speak, but um, he talked about the first time he ever went into the A's locker room and he saw these guys walk out of the shower. (laughs) And he was looking at these guys and they were kind of misfits in his opinion. I mean, they didn't look like athletes. I think he said they looked like you know, no disrespect here Jerry they all looked like accountants he said you know they were not very fit and and and, and all of that stuff and um, and uh, and it's true i mean we 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 don't have to look like all the other guys and i think actually there's a question coming up uh, later that it kind of in relation to this about how the look and feel of someone and the value they can bring to your portfolio you know if you look good and smart and have a certain you know um persona there's more likelihood going to you're going gonna to raise a lot of money but i wonder whether that's
3: what people really should be looking for anyways that yeah, was just I, my thought i agree i agree with all of that and yeah. i think uh, i you know honestly i can't really think of too much that i i, I could uh, test in the morning you know and try to improve you know and so I throw it out there as just, you know, sure, we, you know, maybe we can improve a little bit. Let's add some single stocks. You know, you can, yeah. you're going to hear that every time from me, right? Okay. So <laughs> let's try to get a little bit better. But honestly, no. And another good analogy um, if Rodman has a couple of bad games on the bench, right? No, mm-hmm. of course not. Uh, CTAs have some bad periods. Oh, that's over with. Trend following right. is going to, is on the way to extinction. Yeah. So these are great ways of looking at it. And, People operate uh, their life in a certain way, let's be. Let's look at all the data, let's uh, play for the long term, uh, especially with our long equity managers. <laughs> so CTAs, nope, uh, next stop, extinction.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I really like that analogy too. I think it was on uh, Matt Faber's show, the interview with uh, Chris Cole. And it is, it is so true, I think you just need to keep the, the CTA allocation in there permanently in your portfolio and then combine that rough strategy with other strategies. That could be Chris Cole's vol strategy, could be short-term trend following strategies, things that you know we don't do, and and build that portfolio, which just as you said, Niels, because of the fact that it's so uncorrelated and it has these rough diamonds in there, all of them together, just, just stick to that one. Um, and don't, um, you know, Become too emotional about one year or two years that haven't been going so well for one of the strategies included because odds are that the other strategies will be doing fine.
1: Yeah, and, and, and on top of that I would say, and I think you mentioned this before, uh, Moritz, and that is if you go back in the history of trend following right and I know that you could argue that some of the studies that's been done has obviously been back testing, you know, a hundred years or whatever. But you certainly find periods where trend following didn't work for five or ten years. But and, and I'm sure had there been articles back then about trend following, had it been a widely known strategy, the these articles would have been out there saying it, it's never going to work again. But people, funnily enough, you never see that. After equities have gone down. I mean, from 1966 to 1974, equities went down. I mean, that's you know, it took eight years to make the that low, as as far as I remember. But I don't think people would ever call or would ever say, uh, oh, equities that's never gonna go up again. Uh, so we're never gonna invest in equities anymore. It's funny how there is this kind of double standard when it comes to these strategies versus um you know, but maybe it's just the dissonance.
2: Um, it's the mind trick all over again. It's just like what we had in the uh, in the last quarter of last year with the equity markets where they were, you know, heading down 20%. And when you then read the media, um, maybe that's all about, you know, creating ad dollars and, and getting the story out and just getting people to read stuff. But, you know, it sounded like this is really, really bad. And this has been the worst December. And then, you know, when you look at that, and put it into historical perspective, the, the range between the highs and the lows, the realized volatilities, all of that has been a blip compared to uh, events in the 1930s, even the global financial crisis at the end of the 2000s. It's just people forget about that stuff. And they only, you know, we only live in the right here, right now in in the present. And apparently it seems to hurt so much that you lose the interest in actually trying to put it in perspective i mean some people do we do it we you know like those articles on twitter the objective articles as they come out and you know try to make people aware of the fact that you know what's happening right now is just a you know smaller episode of a of a longer term you know trading game if you will but it's uh, for no avail
3: sure and you know i'm so upset with those. CTAs in the 20s and 30s that caused all that volatility as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Exactly. i mad at them too.
1: <laughs> yeah. We have to blame someone. Let's start with the CTAs.
3: And uh, you know, as another, uh, the topic you brought up, I think last week, and maybe you tweeted some this week, Niels, was we're running out of long only stock markets that make the case for that you don't need to do anything. You don't need to have small losses and a systematic approach or diversification. Just uh, passive indexing. It used to be they could say, "Oh, and you can please just ignore Japan if you don't mind." But then there's a lot of uh, other stock markets, especially in Europe. So these are developed Western countries that uh, it's you know. And I'm just waiting. Maybe the S and P is on its way as well. Where it, you know, maybe it will be one index, not the Nasdaq, not the Dow. Now we're only up to the S and P that we can kind of rely upon forever and ever. As if this, as if this is some sort of great scientific, evidence-based idea that um, we have proof here that you know that passive long stock indexes. Ironically, you know this is. uh, I think it's being difficult, more and more difficult to make that the case and proof, uh, since most of these, a lot of these other markets are not showing uh, profits in many, many years.
1: I mean, I think that's a great point, right? Because every time we get compared, we get compared to the S and P, and we know that the S and P has been, you know, the most, you know, profitable of the equity markets, uh, or at least consistent and then profitable in in recent times. So we always com- compare to that. But you're right. I mean, the the, the point I was making in in uh, last week was that if I look at European equity markets, many of them made their last high in 2000 um and there were some of them were made their last high in 2007 so there we have markets that are either in an 18-year drawdown or an 11-year drawdown and only very few made their highs in 2018 and yet people of course don't stop you know investing in france or in can't remember the names right now you know the uk etc etc now of course you need them in the portfolio but it doesn't the fact that they have actually had drawdowns that are by far longer than
2: anything the cta industry has ever experienced i, I found the tweet and, and i tweeted that um niels we only have to go down from where we live 100 or 200 kilometers south and there's italy yeah and the MSCI italy gross total return index is at zero for the past 25 years now that's gross total return not net total return that's before taxes so yeah you know, Italian taxes are high, so uh, it's, it's negative for 25 years. And, you know, people only focus on, you know, I think Japan, Japan is this dormant market, which hasn't rewarded investors for the long-only allocation. And I think there's many more. Italy is just one example. Um, and then the the spotlight is on the S and P 500 and how well that has behaved in the past, you know, 10 years. Um, now with maybe a lofty valuation, nobody's to say that, you know, there's, there's, there's no rule that says that the S&P 500 cannot have a 25-year uh, flat period. It may happen. That's just entirely possible. But apparently the mindset isn't there for this.
1: That is possible. And, and I think we should always also remind ourselves that we, we, we don't necessarily wish for these markets to go down. And we <coughs> excuse me, we can make money just as easily when markets go up. 2014 was a great example of that. 2017 was a great example of that. I mean, so it's not like... Other things have the bad things has to happen to other things. We, we again. I mean, I, you know, crisis alpha is something that a lot of uh, people talk about when they think about our industry. But I mean, we don't need a crisis to produce alpha. So uh, you know, we should keep that in mind as well. All right. Okay. Um, great stuff. Why don't we? bring it back to the present. Let's bring it back to this week in uh, social media world. Let's bring it back to Jerry's top tweets. I know there is a surprise winner this week, so I'm excited to, uh, to hear what that was, uh, Jerry.
3: Okay. <clears throat> Let's, uh, it's a surprise uh, winner uh, slash loser. Uh, a lot of <laughs> popularity. I have no idea why throwing things up against the wall and seeing what sticks sometimes and just having fun. You know, I think some of these things, I don't agree with them necessarily. Uh, One tweet this week was uh, one of the explanations of what is an algorithm was compared to an algorithm could be like the directions on a shampoo bottle. uh, Rinse, lather, repeat. I thought that was kind of funny and it got some attention. I have no idea why, but uh, so this one uh, was a very frustrated person uh my comment was maybe a bad day in the markets uh and it uh, the title was uh, trading will never make you rich trading for a living is not an ideal way to earn money and it's a sublime way to ruin your life and embed yourself into a permanent state of frantic misery opt for long term capital appreciation uh long only tactical allocation i guess for the sake of your own sanity and quality of life. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you know you're going to have these periods if you're not being systematic. I remember in 2008, uh, we would have our, some clients into the office to talk about what was going on, and they were so depressed. You know, Once again, small allocation to Chesapeake or CTAs, lots of allocation to indexes and long stocks, and no clue what to do. You know, and that's one of our great advantages we, we know exactly what to do with a systematic approach. Unfortunately it doesn't look like we do and it doesn't always work but the next trade uh, we've got that part down and so I think just maybe this uh, this uh, f- these type of feelings and anxiety are mostly due to people who don't use a systematic approach or trade too large. I mean I think that's ninety percent of it for most people uh, they're if they're even if they're going with the trend and taking small losses and being somewhat diversified, they maybe have too much leverage, too much uh, risk on each day, and then it all starts to unwind, uh, chaos starts. but uh, there are people out there who like to trade, who want to trade, and they just realize that uh, you know the ups and downs of the markets are just too personal and they're too much to handle and I think a lot of people identified with this article.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think, uh, um, I think that that's exactly another element that, that being rule-based brings to the table because I, I agree if you had to sit in front of the screen eight, ten hours a day, if that can do it, and try and make money from it day in, day out, that probably will ruin your life. But having these rules, and it's interesting, I'm putting together these weekly kind of summaries of old episodes uh, on the podcast, and, and the one I'm working on right now that's going to come out, I think, next week, um, is one with Scott Billington from Covenant. And, of course, they only trade, they only look at the the markets once a week. And, uh, you know, so, so again, I mean, you can... You can do a lot with the right rules um, and trading doesn't have to be, uh, uh, you know, consuming all your time. And if you get it right, uh, and then there's a lot of other great things you can do with your time. Um, but if you are discretionary, as you say, Jerry, and you have to sit and try and make sense of it, uh, and with the news flow as they are today and a tweet here and a tweet there changing things dramatically, um i I think that probably is
2: the way to ruin your life. Everybody gets what they want out of the markets at sayko <laughs> yeah I mean it's nice. it's it true. I mean for yeah. some people they they want to sit from the screen and uh you know, day trade um I'm not sure why, but you know maybe that's for the fun of it. Other people, they want to be right more than making money so that's a it's a mixed bag um and there's something in there for everyone. very true.
1: So that was an interesting one to kick off uh, the social media review with uh, Jerry. What else uh, got people's attention this week?
3: You know, I, I like to um, <clears throat> read things in the media and it's it just in social media. And it's just uh, sort of run it through, uh, you know, the trend following lens. And so often mm-hmm. um, it's just a repeat and uh, just uh, but just reminding myself of how wonderful uh, and how organized. You know, I think to some degree that's what uh, Google. Uh, says, you know, that they want to do with uh, the search is organize life, you know, organize the world. And that's that's sort of how we go about it. We organize these markets. There's so, uh, so much complexity. Uh, uh, One of the articles that I looked at this week was, um, you know, models, models don't work very well. And so I'm so thankful what we do is not really a model that is going to be 50 some percent correct and predict the future. You know, we're the opposite of predicting We're we're making money 40 percent of the time, let's say, or something like that, less than 50 percent, probably. So some of the articles this week were like um, one of the articles were something like, um, go back and look at your trades and your worst trades and see. um how you can improve them. And I thought, well, you know, my worst trades, I mean, these losses that I take, you know, I've taken some losses this week and, but they're like my best trades because I have my predetermined stop loss. It's gonna be a small percentage of my AUM. And so I really don't have anything to improve upon with my trades. And as a systematic trader, our the things we need to reevaluate each week um, would be things like, why didn't I do the trades I was supposed to do? And then can you imagine uh, not wanting to take those losses? Well, then that feeds into not wanting to take certain trades, by only having not taken those trades. Well, then that feeds into missing huge trends. So uh, from our perspective, it's a little unfair for me to jump on some of these quotes because they're just from a certain perspective, uh, which is not systematic and uh, hanging in there with your system and doing uh, long-term back testing to make sure your rules look pretty good. So. I really kind of enjoy reminding myself how awesome and our framework is uh, and you know that's why we all sit around saying, yeah, we can tweak it a little bit, but most of these tweaks are not going to matter so much. We will step on the field with a systematic approach and all these great markets, long and short, and we're 90% ahead uh, in front of everyone. Our edges are so huge just by the mere fact that we're willing to follow these trends.
1: I mean, I think that's a great point, uh, Jerry, and I think... Um, a lot of this sentiment comes from people who probably think, yeah, I mean, rules make sense and, and I should be systematic. But it, it, but then there's the mindset, right? The, the, the mindset and the time it takes to build so much confidence in your own system that you become 100% systematic. I think a lot of people are 99% systematic or 95% systematic. And that's exactly right. As you say, you sometimes then would miss out on 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 the next great trade um um because you didn't take it for some reason. And I think that's the you know the evolution of of a uh, of of many investors um where they think they're systematic because they're systematic the majority of the time. But in our world you're either a hundred percent systematic or you're not. And I think that's the that that's really that can be tough for people to get to that point. And I'm sure it's taken all of the three, all the three of us plus a lot of our great peers, um, some years to get to that point where we're just so comfortable with, you know, what we what we do. Um, I think that's a great reminder. Yeah, take,
2: take some time to start loving your losers. And and that's really important. And I love those losers. I can remember days and, and periods where, you know, I, I looked back on a trade, a losing trade. And then, you know, the day you get out, you realize that loss and it, you know it feels bad and then two weeks later you look back on the market and the market has gone further into the, uh, into the wrong direction and you feel absolutely fantastic and joyful because you've only lost 25 pips on that trade and had you hold on to the trade you'd be like in a 3% hole or something like that, right? And, and nowadays it's even, I mean those you know, instances happen where uh, you, know, you look on a specific trade, a losing trade and it makes you feel really good because you followed the exit and you know, you just realized a small loss, fine, so be it. And now I just put it into the the larger sample size bucket and go, well, that has been one trade of many, many thousand that are still to come. And it's you know just one of the statistical outcomes and doesn't really mean much.
3: Mm. And you look at these yeah. weekly charts and all you see is these monster trends just pop out. From a weekly point of view, that lasts a year or two or three, and uh, I often look at you know look back at some of these trends and I see oh right before that big uh, two three year trend, the LME in 2006, six, six, you know you know maybe there was a whipsaw and I'm thinking, what was I thinking oh my god that's I can't stand you know, I had a bad day a bad month and then all of a sudden you don't even understand but you're on a two year trend in copper aluminum nickel and zinc and making all kinds of some of the best trends of all time. And so your brain is absolutely in the wrong place. It's not, oh, crap, I got knocked out of gold last week. It's like we should be, I can't wait to to get long gold or uh, maybe get short again because it'll be a better trade on the short side if we all kind of get long or get very frustrated about just getting knocked out of our our short. So we don't see that opportunity once again, uh, the rest of the world, you know, if we, if I wasn't trading systematic, I would be, you know, my emotions would have an impact. Yeah, I, yeah, mean,
2: another, I think it was this week with, um, one of the, the the finest trends at the moment, uptrend is, is in the palladium market. Um, and I'm sure we're all along that. And uh, so I think it was this week or last week when I read that, uh, an article, I think in the FT saying, is this now a time to get long palladium? I was like, well, if if you aren't long Palladium by now, then I'm not sure what you're trading. But, um, you know, certainly you must have been long for a few months. That that question doesn't even come up. But, you know, systems are great. Just love it. And the losses are part of the thing. Uh, it's the byproduct. You have to embrace them and love them in the same way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. And, yeah. and that's why, you know, having... Having something very concrete to hold on to on a day-to-day basis um, is 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 very useful. Great stuff, Jerry. How uh, how does third place
3: look like this week uh, in uh, Twitterland? Yeah, well, um, I think uh, prompt, pr- what prompted some more of my thoughts were the just the continual uh, idea that people are looking at these Marcuses uh, long only. Yeah, how do they perform long only? Uh, was an article about commodities and you know what they what they look like for the future and uh, yeah if you have to look at these things you know long only that's it could be a problem uh, but the great thing about the trend following approach systematic trend following is these markets can be added to your portfolio these commodities and they will uh, be profitable it's not just about it has nothing to do with historically looking at have they added value to the portfolio. On a buy and hold basis, but when we put them into portfolio with trend following, they will be profitable. They will add diversification, and we don't have to really worry about the value or the prospects for the future. Uh, they instantly will become worthwhile members of the portfolio, and over you know a period of time, long period, it, they will add value. Uh, one person tweeted, um, "You know, if you're along 200 stocks and you think you have diversification, well, they." you won't have diversification sometime. They'll all go down, you know, in October and February, for instance. Uh, True, but, you know, the minute you overlay the trend following to it, it can do nothing except add diversification. So even if it's stock Mm -hmm. only, uh, and this is, I I live this every day, you know, it's almost like I'm on a mission. uh, The CTA is kind of on this mission not to find the 200 best stocks. Oh, no, no, I don't want to find the 200 best. I'd like to find some that I'm long, I'm short, and I'm flat. Uh, so I'm kind of trying to underperform the S&P. Uh, I think I'll do my job better if I'm underperforming the S&P in a big bull market. Uh, I'll take the profit in 2013, where uh, we made it. every stock I had was in an uptrend. But I knew hell was coming in 14 or 15 when they sold off, and it did. But uh, you can Trend following can only help, even if you're only going to trade stocks and uh, only want to go long, uh, at least uh, you'll, if you use a trend following <clears throat> approach, you'll probably be flat, probably be short uh, quite a few stocks uh, when that bad period does come.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. And I think the other thing, and this is a little bit from memory from an article or an analysis I read a few years ago. Um, so, you know, I can just keep that in mind that I could be completely wrong, of course. But I think it is right when I say that unlike equities, where there certainly is an upward bias. And so that's part of why, you know, buy and hold in equities for many people seem to have been the right strategy. I do remember or seem to remember that in commodities, the world looks a little bit different. Over a 30-ish year um, cycle, I think commodities in general only spend 10 years going up and 20 years going down. So if you apply a long-only strategy to commodities, and and of course, this was frankly made famous by probably... I don't know, 18 uh, years ago with uh, Jim Rogers' uh, commodity indices, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean, if you just took it as a long-only investment, I don't think that's been a very good investment uh, in in many cases. So, be aware of that, that uh, as as, as, uh, Jerry says, I mean, a trend-following approach to these markets, you know, in many instances is a better approach than just being long only, and okay, if you don't want to take the short trades, then, then don't, but uh, still apply a trend-following approach to avoid some of these nasty losses that uh, will come from a buy-and-hold or
3: buy-and-hope strategy. And then, you know, yeah. there will be a period where we will um, show our attribution analysis and it will show uh, profits for the month or the year in stocks. And people say, well, how did you do that? Stocks were down... 30 percent. How were you able to do that? Oh, you must have been short. Yeah, I was short, but also I made some money in the longs as well or only in the longs. What the heck? Yeah. Once again, uh, it, it, trend following rehabilitates and creates profit in markets that may not have been profitable. If you look at them in sort of the traditional way, uh, you, if you remember, I've mentioned this study before. Oh, someone posted something about, uh, yeah, Alpha Architect, I asked, he posted something last year about uh, value stocks and buying overvalued stocks, you know, that uh, you make less money. And I said, oh, is that true if you apply trend following? He goes, no, not true if it, if you apply trend following. And I was like, no, of course it's not true. Uh, trend following is not subject to these uh, traditional ways of looking at things from buy long only. And then I asked my friend Eric, Uh, If he agreed, he says, oh, I agree totally because, you know, uh, one of the facts is that so few stocks, 4% of the stocks historically are responsible for all of the gains. And so he said, and one of the things that he did was he took um, a list of delisted stocks, the stocks that went out of business and were no longer around. And he said uh, he did a trend following test on them and they made almost the same amount of money as the stocks that had we're still in existence, uh, so even for markets that don't exist any longer because they went to zero or they got you know whatever, some of them I'm sure got bought out. Uh, trend following turns those into profitable markets.
1: Yeah, great stuff. I think we're we're having a lot of fun this week with some good topics. What else came up um, in um, in the
3: social media world, Jerry? That's about it for. The good stuff uh, hopefully we have some good questions
1: yeah we got a couple and um uh the first one is from uh francois um thanks very much francois for sending in this question and by all i should uh, just plug uh, to everyone listening in you know we do really love your questions so uh send them to info at toptradersonplug.com or tweet jerry or myself or Moritz, and and we'll definitely try to um uh, to bring them on the show uh, as quickly as possible. Um, but by email, it's easier certainly for me to to track them. So um, so please do that. Anyways, back to the question. Um, it goes like this. Most of the people believe that it's safer to invest with someone who wears expensive suits, who pretends to spend hours reading financial statements, and more importantly, who can explain every move of the market. The narrative is very soothing and somehow comforting. How can trend following compete with that? Not to mention that trend following systems are, by nature, pretty hands off. Trend following managers seem to have lots of free time, which can be seen uh, as too good to be true. (laughs) So, maybe a little bit back to what we talked about um, earlier. So, um, Moritz, what are your? How can we? How can we?
2: compete with the expensive. Yeah, suits. so how do you compete with the global macro manager who goes, sees a client and has a hypothesis on, I don't know, Italian bonds or the spread of Italian bonds versus boons. I, I don't know, you know, we don't we don't have that, um, you know, in, in our in our tool case, we don't make those statements, or at least I don't make those statements, I'm sure you guys don't either. But, you know, the quality of us is that we have rules and a robust methodology to react to prices and we say that the information that's relevant to us that's the price that's as good as it gets there's nothing better than that price uh, in terms of you know signal and we've developed rules uh, with all the free time that we have to come up with that great portfolio that's highly diversified very stable and and you know producing good returns for the long run of course this is yeah doesn't sound like I know what the world's going to do uh tomorrow and that one market is going to outperform the other um but it's what can i say i i've never been in that situation where i've kind of like been pitched against uh against another manager in, in 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 such a competition um so i don't know you know looking at the performance i mean there's, there's the graveyard on, on all sorts of managers who then underperform. They come up with those statements and they say, this is going to happen, that is going to happen, that. it's just, a, you know, it doesn't turn out to be true. So I always want to be very careful about, you know, uh, providing an outlook for the future. Isn't there that saying that uh, uh, outlooks for the future are very risky, especially or something like that, especially about the future? I don't know. It's just not my cup of tea. What do you think, Jerry, on this one?
3: Yeah, I think it's, um, <clears throat> we probably have a, a lot of time on our hands to get ourselves in trouble and do too many tweaks and too many changes. So, uh, we, yeah, we're cursed with a strategy that um, it works and it uh, sometimes doing less works better not to, not to get too fancy and make too many changes and try to improve upon periods where uh, there were no profits to be had. So I'm a, I'd like to do less and less. I think I do less. 35 years of doing as little as possible and uh with my uh, uh with my approach assuming as little as possible uh so i think i'm i'm very happy with that i when i look back and i see what happens with the markets and where i've made mistakes i can find these trends that if i just would have got on that trend or thankfully i got on that trend it would just overwhelm any sort of good idea that i've ever had you know how much value did i add with my latest tweak is not nearly as much as being long platinum, long emissions, uh, short crude in 2014. So things like you, you sort of quickly figure out that the markets are the heroes and just having them in your portfolio and doing those trades, uh, that's why you can see, you know, somewhat maybe inferior systems. My own original systematic systems that I used, uh, <clears throat> we had great performance. We're much better now quote unquote, we need to be much better, but we're helpless without the good trends.
1: I mean, I think what Francois is bringing up is, is um, you know, it's it's some, some, certainly a point that, um, that you come across. Um, I, I have a few thoughts about it. Um, I mean, it's true. Um, I think people or investors tend to gravitate towards someone who can speak. Um, or, or, or is perceived to speak intelligently about the future, right? Where it says, "Yeah, I think Apple's earnings is going to be X, and that's why I'm long Apple." Um, I think a lot of people take comfort in that, even though there should really be no comfort in in people's guessing about the future because nobody knows the future. Um, but I understand where you're coming from, uh, Francois, and um, and 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 maybe we need to. Um, you know, and, and I've seen many interviews with, say, David Harding on CNBC, where they kind of struggle, they they always end up asking him the same question, that is something, oh, so where's gold going? And he obviously always tell the same answers, he, he doesn't know, and, and, and he's not meant to know. So so I do understand that from a public relations point of view, that could be a challenge for us in the industry. Um, You know, I work at a firm where there is a no tie policy, so we don't we don't dress up uh, per se to, to look so polished maybe as, as some of these people. But I think the truth, in my opinion at least, is that investors should be comforted by meeting people that are authentic, that are real. When and, and I know that some of the people that I like and respect in, in this industry are just really straightforward. When you see them, they, they sit in... In, in, in normal clothes, they don't dress up for, for their videos or anything like that. Um, and um, and they're some of the smartest uh, investors out there uh, with the best track record. So again, we, we shouldn't be fooled by, by these things, uh, all the, the glamour. Uh, I, I don't think investors should be fooled by that. You know, look at the numbers. Um, look at what people are actually telling you. How transparent are they? Does it make sense what they say? Can they prove what they say? Meaning, do they have a long track record that that um, that people can grab onto? Um, you know, like Jerry, like Don, uh, and a few other people. Um, that's what should be important, in in my opinion. Uh, not how they look, what they dress like, and and how. How eloquent they are when when they talk about um, the future. Um, but I, I, I agree with you um, that but I don't think necessarily we need to compete with them. I mean I think we should just be happy doing it uh, in our own style and 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 you know there's enough investors out there for for us uh, as an industry to, um, to to do well. but I, I, I understand the, the the point for sure, and I appreciate we appreciate your, your question. Um, George, um, George is back with a great another question here. Another great question, um, which I think is very relevant. Again, um, that um, people need to to think about, and is something that we are often um, uh, questioned about. I think so. Here goes from George. I've heard historical trend following returns benefited from investing in different. In difference between required client capital and required margin to equity, I'll explain that in a second. In historically high interest rates, um, recent trend following returns have thus suffered as interest rates have fallen, removing the source uh, that source of return. Any thoughts? I think what what George is referring to, and I I, I know you, Morris and Jerry are, are familiar with it, but I want to explain it to our listeners. And that is, with a CTA or a trend follower in particular, we generally tend to. Uh, only trade futures contracts. And with futures, we only have to post a small amount of, of cash uh, um, to get the margin requirement covered um, so that we might only post, say, ten 20% of the cash we get in order to do our trading. So we have 80% of the cash that people uh, invest uh, and, and they go to the money market or they go to short-duration bonds, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So now in the old days, um, you know, Post or, or prior to to the financial crisis, um, we had reasonable interest rate levels. You know, five, six, seven, eight uh, percent. If if we go back uh, in time, and of course, post financial crisis, that has been zero. So that part of the track record has gone out, and it's a great point because you could you could certainly argue when you look at the index for trend for or for CTAs in general, but actually also for hedge funds that a big chunk of the lower performance uh, post-financial crisis has come from the fact that we've all lost the risk-free uh, interest rates in our track records. Um, but if I just continue a little bit further and just kick it off and saying, well, you know, isn't, if, if I look at it from a, from our point of view and, and our firm point of view, that has not stopped us from producing double-digit return uh, in the last five years, for example um or in the last uh, i think since 2006 it's double digit even without the uh, even with zero help from from that so you could say that's pure alpha and um and so and so again uh investors will have to do their due diligence to find the managers who can deliver those returns and who are not reliant on any risk-free rate of return to boost their performance to a level that is acceptable uh, for the client. But this is something that in... So it's kind of interesting, right? Because we as an industry, hedge funds, CTAs in particular, with a lot of cash on hand, we've really been penalized by low interest rates. The people who are very popular right now, things like private equity, they've actually benefited because they can take on leverage at hardly any cost. So their returns look great because they don't have to pay for financing. Um, and of course, they don't have to mark to market their uh, returns either. They, they can, quote unquote, make up their own uh, track record to some degree. And I know this is a bit harsh to say that, but there is some um, leeway on their, out there on their side in terms of how they uh, mark their own positions in these companies. Uh, maybe that's been reduced a little bit in the past couple of years, but certainly uh, that is why their performance is much more stable. Less volatile than ours because we have to mark to market every single day. Um, so, so this low interest rate environment has really uh, hurt uh, our part of the industry and helped uh, another part of the alternative investment industry, which of course today is incredibly popular with investors. Um, I think it's dangerous to uh, if if you're not aware of these um, of these things to. Uh, to um, yeah, overcompensate uh, your allocations to to these less liquid uh, strategies, but
2: but that's just reality. Anyway,
1: those those were my thoughts. Um, Martin, Jerry, what do you think?
2: I think you've said everything that, that needs to be said. There, everything's one hundred percent correct. Um, maybe the one thing that 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 I can add is I think that you know us included, everyone, we should have a hurdle rate uh, equal to the T bill rate if you if you have a US dollar account, we shouldn't be compensated with performance fees for the tailwind and the drift that the 80% of the cash generates that we don't need for margin. Yeah, that's, that, that's
3: a good point. I have a slightly different uh, view and uh, hopefully I'm not totally wrong. It would be embarrassing. Uh, but uh, the <clears throat> as far as I think, uh, the amount that um, the pricing of a futures contract will be... Uh, impacted by rates, so to buy the S and P index, we have to pay more than if we bought the spy cash in an ETF or something. So, uh, and that's and so we did lose rates, we did lose interest income, but we also uh, purchased that S and P uh, for less <clears throat> because rates are so low, and uh, so it's kind of an offset, kind of a wash to some degree. Not true in all markets, not necessarily true in commodities. And then, of course, uh, it, when it was true that a commodity would be higher priced uh, or financial would be higher priced when rates were higher, it didn't seem to help our shorts at all. So, uh, And I don't think I would be in favor of this hurdle rate um, based upon the interest rate, because if I trade single stock futures, um, I'm going to have 80% or a large percentage of my uh, <clears throat> AUM in, in treasury bills. And if but if I bought the same uh, single stocks in the cash market, I may earn no interest for, interest for uh you know, for example. And so I'm going to get sort of penalized because uh, I just decided to use leverage, didn't really, didn't really need it, just decided to do those trades in the single stock futures markets. Uh, because it was more easy for me and my, the account was already set up or whatever. So, and so um, we could both make the same amount of money uh, on this, on being long these stocks, but in each account, the cash account or the futures accounts, but I would make less because I had a hurdle and this interest income was so, sort of deemed to be uh, a freebie that I should not get credit for. Does that make any sense?
1: I think it does make sense. And I think you're absolutely right. But of course, uh, what we need to take into account is. Uh, of course, whether we are long or short, right? So so, so sometimes the positions that we take in the futures markets uh, can actually have a little bit of an uphill battle because of how interest rates are, uh, but it depends on whether we are then long or short that market. I think, um, for example, that uh, something that I think was debated a long time uh, ago, at least a couple of years ago, was this thing about, and I think this was the, if I'm a little bit uh, cheeky here, I think it was the short-term traders who made the point about long-term trend followers would not be able to make much money in interest rates going forward because interest rates were going to go up so we're going to lose the roll yield well actually long-term trend followers have been doing pretty well uh in in long-term interest rate futures um, because there's that's where the trends have been so again um you know one needs to be careful about these um uh you know predictions because um the interest rate level uh, is important, but it's also important whether we're playing the trends from the upside to the long side or to the short side. But I, I think you have a, yeah, I think you have a good point there. And and uh, you know, managers of course um, can always choose when they do their products, their funds, to whether or not to include the interest income um, that the fund attracts uh, in the performance fee calculation. There's no nothing stopping managers from doing that. Um, and um, so whether it's right or wrong doesn't really matter, you know, a hurdle rate per se is not really needed. You can just exclude interest income in your performance recalculation, in, in my opinion. So, but great questions. Thanks so much, uh, George. And um, and that wraps up the questions uh, for this week. So while... Jerry and Moritz, you think about anything you want to say um, to, to wrap up our conversation. Let me just uh, give people a rundown of performance uh, so far this month. Um, this is as of Thursday. Um, I think Thursday was the 24th of January. And I know Friday was not a great day for trend followers. so I imagine the numbers uh, will be worse um, Friday night than they were uh, on Thursday. But the of 50 um, you know, not very much difference from last week, uh, minus 1.58% for the month and therefore the year. Sock Gen CT Index down 1.76% uh, for the month. Uh, Sock Gen Trend Index down 2.81% for the month. Sock short tr- uh, Short-Term Traders Index one point, down one56 for the month. And Rich Alternatives, the flat fee funds, down 3.24% for the month and therefore, of course, also for the year. Um any final thoughts um now that we're heading into conference week here in Miami um two big conferences in one week where I'm sure we'll have some interesting things maybe some new some interesting topics to talk about next week when we uh, get together on the podcast but um, any final thoughts
2: yeah looking forward to uh, to seeing everyone and uh, and speaking to a lot of people but uh, we're nearing the one-year anniversary of the uh the vix spike right i think it was uh, early February mm-hmm. last year so uh so maybe uh maybe there's an opportunity for that beloved crisis alpha i'm still short of the equities let's see what happens next week and the week after happy trading.
3: you know i, I yeah i agree and uh, all i can think of you know, is though i'm not short um this indices i would just uh, follow the system for all you guys out there who are don't If you have to take a small loss, they're kind of rallied above the U.S. indices. are sort of above that big breakout level. That's okay. It's just because you had a big profit and it turned into a small loss. Uh, Try to maintain that position. It's been many times I have uh, made a mistake and kind of missed a trend. I kind of screwed up that Italian bond thing. I wasn't able to get that trade on. It just was so volatile and I couldn't do it. And I talked to my friends and I said, yeah, it's going to be fine. Just keep that trade on. Okay, it ended up losing money. I guess or not making money, but still, I'm encouraging everyone. Uh, make your bottom line. Uh, how am I ha- how How am I handling this tr- this trade? How is my system handling it? And if you're still along, if you're still following your system and still short those indexes, you're doing great. Uh, I encourage because uh, it'll. We never know what's going to happen. We we believe in the price trends. We believe that over time these trends and it, it's worth just following the prices, but uh the last few weeks of prices and they don't really mean very much uh there's no indication of necessarily what's gonna happen with that uh with your with your great short index position so I'm encouraging everyone to hang in there with those good stuff with that um with that great advice from
1: Jerry um we're gonna wrap up this week's conversation, which we hope uh you enjoyed. Um, keep your questions coming um, by sending them to info at com or send us a tweet. And if you like what you heard, please help others discover the show by leaving us a rating and review on iTunes. And please share this episode with a friend who also have an interest in investing. One share is really all we ask for. From Jerry, Moritz and me, thanks so much for listening and we look forward to being back with you
0: next week.